Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week we continue in our series called Pause with our associate care pastor, Josh Masters, bringing us a message on Psalm 77. You can find additional resources and our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Let's keep rolling, shall we? Good morning, Brookwood. Oh, come on now. This is going to be a hard message, so you're going to have to start at a higher level than that. Good morning, Brookwood. There we go. That's what we're looking for. Hey, good morning. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our series looking at what it means to pause in our lives. We've been learning how to put aside our busyness and our distractions. Last week, JC talked about living on the hamster wheel. But there are also times beyond our busyness, beyond our distractions. There are also times of deep emotional suffering. When despair makes it seem like it's impossible for us to connect with God when we pause. And that happens because there is a healthy way to pause and there is an unhealthy way to pause. Our message this morning is entitled, Remember. And that's important because how we connect with God is heavily influenced by what memories and what thoughts we choose to dwell on. Can you pause to reflect on something negative? What's that? Yeah. Can you pause to dwell on your despair? Yeah, of course. See, when you're in the middle of a struggle, you can trap yourself in such sorrow that your quiet time actually becomes destructive instead of refreshing. So how do we make sure that we're pausing in such a way that it brings intimacy with God rather than leading us further away from him? That's the question addressed in our passage this morning. The psalm that we're looking at this morning is Psalm 77. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or swipe there if that is your preference. Psalm 77. It's on page 477 if you're using the Bible that we have available in the bookstore. And as you turn there, as you turn to Psalm 77, let me tell you a little bit about the author of this psalm. This psalm is actually not written by David. This psalm is written by a man named Aseph. He's one of three worship directors whose families were appointed to oversee worship by King David. One of three worship directors for the nation of Israel. And Aseph has a prominent position. And his job is to help lead others to a place of worship. But as he's writing this song, as he's penning this, he finds himself in a place of deep sorrow and depression. Now his sorrow is a reflection of the national sorrow that we see in the Psalms leading up to this one. But make no mistake, this sorrow, this depression, this despair is very, very personal to Asaph. So let's look at the first three verses of his lament. Psalm 77, verse 1. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, 
that God would listen to me when I was in deep trouble. And that, that word trouble, it's deeper than what we would think of as trouble. It means great anxiety, distress, dis- depression. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven. But my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. Interlude. Selah. Pause. Asaph is trying to pause here, isn't he? But it's not working. He's crying out to God, but he's not receiving any comfort. See, at first glance, it seems like he's doing all the right things. He's calling out to God. He's he's lifting his hands. He's praying. And it is good that he is coming before God and presenting his sorrow. His actions are right, but his heart is wrong. His heart is wrong. See, it looks like he's focused on God. But who's he really focused on? Hmm. Let's look at the verses again. But this time, let's pay attention to the pronouns that he's using. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven. But my soul was not comforted. I think of God. I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. See, even though Asaph says he's longing for God's help in that last sentence, who's he really focused on? Himself. He's trapped in his own sorrow. The very thought of God makes him moan. Why? Because he's focused on his efforts and his trouble. It doesn't say, I listened for God. It says, oh, that God would listen to me. And when we're focused on ourselves rather than God, our attempts to pause never yield fruit. Never. In fact, they can lead us down a destructive path away from God. It can lead us down a path away from God even as we're calling out his name. Because we're focused on us. Because as we'll see, the more Asaph thinks about his circumstances, the more depressed he gets. Let's read verse 4. Verse 4. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed to pray. In the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, but they call the Tanakh, this sentence is translated like this. You can see it up there. You have held my eyelids open. I am overwrought. I cannot speak. You've held my eyelids open. This is a direct accusation against God. It's your fault I can't pray. It's your fault I can't sleep. And that brings us to our first fill-in. Pausing to remember my circumstances rather than God. Pausing to remember my circumstances blames God 
for weakness in my actions. It's a tough place to start, isn't it? I promise it gets better. As we focus on our circumstances and our own desires, we have a tendency to justify our actions. It, it couldn't possibly be my fault that I can't pray. It, it can't be me who's wrong. It's, it's not my thinking that's keeping me awake at night. It must be someone else. So we cover up the weakness of our own behaviors by blaming others. And in this example, even blaming God. Look at Proverbs 19.3. says this. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And then they're angry at the Lord. Sounds a lot like Adam in the garden, Genesis 3, doesn't it? God said, did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? And what does Adam say? It was the woman. It was the woman. And not only that, it was the woman you gave me. That's the reason I ate the fruit. He blames both Eve and God, but he doesn't take any responsibility for himself whatsoever. So here's a question for you this morning. Have you blamed God or others for your circumstances or your sin? See, it's easy to look at Adam, but what about our heart? Now, you probably know the right Christian answer here, right? No, no, I would never blame God. But is that what your heart really says? See, the more we meditate on our circumstances, the more we blame God and others for our weakness of character. And then what happens? Let's see where Aseph's heart goes. Verse 5. I think of the good old days, he says, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful song. I, I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Oh, things were so much better back then. The psalmist is in deep distress. He's focused on himself and he can't hear from God. So he begins to glorify the circumstances of his past. Your second fill-in is this. Pausing to remember my circumstances leads me to glorify my past. But the book of Ecclesiastes warns, the book of Ecclesiastes warns us against that. It says this, do not say, why were the old days better than this? For it is not wise to ask such questions. And you know what? Maybe there were joyful songs in the past. Maybe he's remembering correctly. Maybe there were joyful songs, but it's probably not the whole picture. Sometimes we look back at something with greater fondness than we had for it when we were in the circumstance. Because they're familiar to us. Just like every phase of our lives, there were probably good things and there were probably bad things. But when we're focused on the distress of our current situation, the old situation starts to look pretty good. In our human nature, the known struggle of our past 
is always more attractive than an unknown future. That's why people continually return to situations that are unhealthy and sometimes even dangerous for them. Think about the Israelites when they were rescued from Egypt by God. Now, we're going to talk more about them a little bit later in this chapter. But God had delivered them from generations of slavery. They were finally free after hundreds of years. But you know what they said? Almost immediately after praising God for the miracle of parting the Red Sea, they had just sang his praises. And then you know what they say? They say this. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and we ate all the bread that we wanted. Make sure you get this. They forgot all about the beatings. They forgot all about the oppression and the forced labor. They forgot how Pharaoh had killed all the firstborn sons of Israel. And they only remembered the meat. Is that what you are doing today with the shackles of your past? See, when we want to find comfort in our past, we whitewash the details until they're better than the present. And when we can't live in the past and we don't want to live in the present, we stop trusting God for the future. Pausing to remember my circumstances severs my trust in God's promises. It severs my trust in God's promises. You cannot worship the power of your circumstances and the power of God's promises at the same time. I don't think, I don't think you heard me. You cannot worship the power of your circumstances and the power of God's promises at the same time. They don't go together. And how does this thinking affect us? Let's see what happened in Asaph's heart as we continue. Verse 7. It's God's fault I can't pray. I wish I were in the good old days. And that leads us to this. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Think about his state of mind here. Think about that sentence. Is his unfailing love gone forever? He's calling it unfailing and accusing it of failing. He's not thinking straight. Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Selah, pause. Let me meditate on how God has failed me. And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Let's leave that up there for a few minutes, production. Asaph asked six questions. His focus on himself and his circumstances has led him to question God's faithfulness, 
God's kindness, God's unfailing love, God's promises, God's grace, and his compassion. And Asaph's conclusion is not only that God has abandoned him, but that God is actually working against him now. This is my fate, he says. The most high has turned against me. See, focusing on himself in meditation led to isolation from God and despair. And here's the reason why. Outside of God, our soul is incapable of finding its own rest. There was a preacher a long time ago, a Scottish preacher by the name of John Kerr. He was studying this passage, and this is what he wrote. Now, it's a little bit of old English, so you've got to think through it. But he said this. If one theory be true about man's soul, it is this. That out of God, no full satisfying end can be found for it, meaning the soul. Outside of God, there's no satisfaction for the soul. The soul is greater than the whole world. And the greater cannot be blessed by the less. If the distress of our soul is greater than what the world offers, then the world cannot bring us peace. No position, no possession, no promotion. Have you been struggling to hear God as you pause? Are you trapped in your own sorrow? It's a hard question. So take a deep breath. Because God doesn't want you trapped there. This, this is not the end. Verse 10 is not the end of a Seth story. And if you're struggling to hear from God in this season of your life, it doesn't have to be the end of your story either. God didn't design you to be oppressed by life's burdens. He designed you to be drawn closer to him as he reveals his glory in your burdens. That's why Jesus said this, come, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and, and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden that I give you is light. Stop withholding your burden from Jesus. Stop withholding your burden from Christ. You're, you're spinning out of control asking where is God when all the time it's you that's hiding. All because you don't want to let go of the outcome that you want. And you may say, but I don't, I don't know how. I, I don't know how to give it up. When you find yourself despondent, when you find yourself questioning hope, there's one answer. No matter what your circumstance, there's one answer. 
remembering the character of God. Knowing the character of God answers every difficult question. Because you'll realize the answer is not in what your circumstances are, but in who God is. And without any change in circumstances, seeing the character of God answered all of Job's questions, it answered all of Habakkuk's questions, it answered all of Asaph's questions, and knowing God's character can answer all of your questions. In the first 10 verses of this psalm, Asaph refers to himself more than 20 times. Me. I. My. But there's a shift in verse 11. Because he uses the word zakar. To bring to remembrance. I was, I was lost in despair. I had no hope. But then I remembered. Verse 11. But then I recall Zakar. I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. What changed? He turns his attention toward God. And he reflects on what he knows about God's character from the scriptures. Because he's likely echoing Exodus 15 here. He reflects on what he knows about God's character from his scriptures. When we look at the he instead of the me, our perspective changes. Even when our circumstances don't. The worship director has changed the pronouns of his song. Look at those verses. I recall all you have done. Your wonderful deeds. Your ways are holy. You are a God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power. Look back at our first villain. Remembering my circumstances causes me to blame God for the weakness in my actions. That's true, but pausing to remember God's character reveals the strength in his. Pausing to remember God's character reveals strength in his actions. What do you think changed Aseph's heart? Passage doesn't say, does it? but it seems like an instantaneous change. Passage doesn't say, but we do know this. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the heart of sin. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one that reminds us what God has done. John 14, 26 and 16, 8. So I believe, you look at it yourself, but I believe even in a Seth's sin, God's grace placed a remembrance in his heart of God's power and love. 
if you're struggling to remember the character of God, ask him to remind you. Ask him, Zakar, to remind you. Let me give you an example from my own life. But let me give you this disclaimer. Make sure you hear this disclaimer. I'm not telling you this story so that you think I handled the situation the right way. Because I came to it kicking and screaming. The point of this illustration is to show you how God corrected me with this idea, this concept of remembrance. Before Gina and I came to Brookwood, I was in the exact same place Asef was in at the beginning of this song. I was in self-inflicted agony over my circumstances. After my studies, I spent years doing studies for the ministry. And after that, I spent more years looking for a job in ministry. But I only experienced rejection after rejection. And in that process, I had made my job search an idol. I worshipped the power of my circumstances and I tried to change them in my own strength. I applied to job after job after job, stuff I absolutely knew God was not calling me to do because I was going to change my circumstances. I searched job posts every hour of every day. I obsessed over why God wasn't answering my prayers. Just like Asef, I was fasting. I was praying, I was lifting my hands, but I was really focused on myself the whole time. Why wasn't God doing what he was supposed to do? And then the Holy Spirit reminded me, Zakar, that I had forgotten who he was. And so I sensed that God was asking me to go on a me fast. For 40 days, I did not pray for myself. Now, I felt like I could pray for other people. But what God had asked me to do was to spend 40 days only telling him who he was. So every day he showed me which words to focus on. God, you are good. God, you are holy. You are the true source of strength and righteousness. You are merciful. You draw close to the brokenhearted. And at first I was just doing what I was told. But by focusing on who God was rather than my circumstances, it transformed my thinking. See, I didn't need to question my circumstances once I understood who was master over them. Again and again, Scripture teaches us that God's strength is our refuge, our defense, our salvation. There are Psalms listed in your outline that you can read on your own time. And look what God says to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And this is how Paul responds. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. It might be time for me to embark on another me fast. How about you?
Remind yourself of God's character and strength by examining his word, just like Asaph is doing. And when we're trapped in sorrow, we can say to the, with the psalmist, my sorrow is full. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put a little star somewhere in your notes and answer this question. How has God shown his strength in my life? How has God shown his strength in my life? If you don't know an answer right now, that's okay. Just write that down. Say, I don't know. You'll be able to reflect on it later. And as we focus on the strength of God's actions, we begin to realize exactly what he chose to do with that strength. We continue in verse 15. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. I love this. You don't get this in the Exodus. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Instead of questioning whether God could do something about his circumstances, Aseph pauses to reflect on the power of a God that redeemed all of Israel. See, when the children of God came before an impossible obstacle, they had a sea in front of them, an army behind them, mountains on their sides, impossible situation that was going to inhibit their deliverance. The very sea trembled at God's power and moved out of the way. How can Osef, how can we question God's hand in our personal circumstances when our God has the proven strength to redeem an entire nation? By reflecting on Israel's redemption, we're not only reminded about the character of God's strength, but the character of his love. So instead of our second fill-in where we said that we glorify and long for my past. Pausing to remember God's character glorifies his redemption of my past. God can reshape your history to bring glory to his name. Yes, there are things in our past that we need to process. There's things that we need to grieve, but we don't want to live in our past. Good or bad, we want our past redeemed by God so that he can do something new in and through us for his kingdom. This is one of my favorite passages. Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Some say, do you not see it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Make sure you hear this. When we pause, we don't need to know what God is going to do. We need only understand the character of the one doing it. 
somewhere else in your notes, write an answer to this question. Put a star next to it. How has God revealed his redemptive power in my life or in the life of someone I know if you don't have an answer? Remember that question when you take time to pause this week. And if you can't think of anything, that's okay. If you can't think of anything in your own life, use this psalm that we're looking at today. Or use Romans 8. But be purposeful in meditating this week on God's redemptive power. The first 10 verses of this psalm ends with a crisis of faith. Can God be trusted? But by focusing on God's character instead of his circumstances, the last 10 verses end with praise for his guidance. Verse 19. Your road led through the sea. He's talking about the Red Sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. That's another whole sermon. You led your people along that road like flocks of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Who led them? God. We can find rest in our pause because we have a God who guides our steps. Asaph is remembering the way God led Israel because it reminds him that God can be trusted with the direction of his own life. So rather than letting our circumstances sever our trust in God's promises, pausing to remember God's character builds trust in his guidance. It builds trust in his guidance. Look at Isaiah 58, verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Last question, put a star next to this one. How has God guided me in the past? Now, maybe at the time you didn't recognize he was guiding you. Maybe it's only in retrospect. But how has God guided me in the past? You can use these three questions that we starred to help you with this week's soul training that's available in our message guide. Or you can just use them in your quiet time as you pause this week. Look at the top of your outline. God says this. This is our memory verse. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. The antidote to an obsession with what God is going to do in the future is remembering the character of his actions in the past. If you have an obsession with what God is going to do in the future, the antidote is remembering the character of his actions in the past. Asaph was rescued from despair by remembering the greatest example of God's character in the Hebrew Scriptures. The salvation and deliverance of Israel from Egypt. That exodus began with a sacrifice before they fled. 
and the Passover meal. God told them to pass the tradition of that meal down from generation to generation so that they and their children would remember what God had done. That's in Exodus 12, 26 and 27. But you and I have a greater reminder of God's character than the deliverance that Asaph is remembering. Because God's great victory in the Exodus, God's victory over the Red Sea was just a pale foreshadowing of a greater victory that was coming. A permanent victory in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to be the eternal Passover lamb in the cup of redemption. The full character of God was revealed when he chose to sacrifice his son. And still, God calls us to pause and remember. Because as Jesus was celebrating the exact same thing that we're talking about today, as he was celebrating in the Passover the remembrance of what God did in Egypt, the same thing that Asaph is meditating on here, it was the same night that he was betrayed. It was the same night that he surrendered to the men who would carry him to the cross. And on that night, Jesus took the Passover bread, that remembrance of Egypt. And he said this, you have a few moments. He said, this is my body, broken for you. And he said, do this to remember me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, this cup is my blood. My new covenant with you, my promise to you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. And then NLT says, every time that you eat this bread or you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus tells us to remember, pause and remember what he did for us on the cross. So we celebrate a new version of the Passover and the Lord's Supper, proclaiming his strength in his sacrifice, the redemption of our past through his blood, and trusting that he will return to guide us home. So we're going to take time to remember that today in communion. And if you didn't receive an elements bag, you can raise your hand and our volunteers will bring one for you. Maybe, maybe you're in a place where you've been feeling distant from God. Maybe the, the memory of your circumstances have been too overwhelming for you to see hope in the future. But hope isn't found in the future. Hope for the future is found in what God has already done. So to prepare ourselves for communion, we're going to pause. We're going to remember God's work.
And you may not be accustomed to sitting quietly this long. That's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. This is a time for you to ask God to remind you what he has done. And if you walked in for the first time today, you don't know God. Maybe you're not sure about this whole God thing. That's okay too. Maybe, maybe this is a time for you to ask him how he's been calling you all along. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Please, no getting up or moving around. Let's just be still and take a couple minutes to remember Christ's sacrifice and character. Ask him to guide your quiet time right now, and then we'll share in the elements together. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of deliverance, that you are a God of hope. And Lord, we ask that you would bring to mind what you have done in our lives and what you have done in the past. Reveal yourself and show us individually and corporately what you want us to know about your character. Remember. Remember it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He, he was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Remember the things I have done in the past, says the Lord. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Father God, in our darkest moments, guide us to remember your light. In the name of Christ, our Passover lamb. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians at Brookwood, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.